the, the goal is to just put in and do and create as many policies as possible to see what happens and if they pass and, and let other people like the NAACP and, and others challenge it in court. And it's expensive to do those sorts of things, to challenge things in court. So, so the idea of throw yeah. a lot of things at the wall and hope that one will stick or that your opponents don't have enough funding to stop it from sticking. Exactly. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. The Missouri House of Representatives passed a bill last month that would make it harder to vote without a photo ID. The bill is now under consideration by the Senate. The bill's sponsor is Representative John Simmons. He's a Republican from Washington, Missouri. And he told us this about his motivations on this show earlier this month. And the idea with fraud, I mean, there is that potential there. And I know legislators, I mean, uh, I know courts have opined saying that legislatures are permitted and, and should be responsive to the potential of fraud with, with some foresight mm-hmm. rather than just reactively dealing with it after the fact. And that's part of what, uh, what my bill does. But even before the Senate could vote on Representative Simmons' bill yesterday, the House passed another bill requiring photo ID, this one prohibiting absentee ballots from being counted before ballots that are cast on Election Day. It also bans election law changes within six months of a presidential election. Now, the rush to crack down on voting access is not unique to Missouri. Across the country, 42 other state legislatures are considering more than 250 bills that raise barriers to voting. And joining us today with some perspective on that issue is Gina Gunn-McClendon. She's the director of the Voter Access and Engagement Initiative at the Brown School at Washington University, and she's also an adjunct professor there. So, Gina, welcome back. Thank you, Sarah. It's great to be back. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. So this trend across Mm -hmm. the nation, 250 bills introduced in state legislatures in 43 states, that feels like a lot. What's driving this big push right now? Yes, it's true. And in fact, I'm positive that there are probably more than just the um, 253 um, because state state legislative sessions are start and and stop at different times. Mm -hmm. So, but... You know, I, I here's what I think about um, all of these bills. I think it's because uh, it's a backlash to the historic voter turnout in the 2020 election and the success of the Georgia voters to elect two Democrats to the U.S. Senate. I also think that it's because um, the Republicans were very unsuccessful in reversing the electoral vote from President Biden to the former president. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, there's it's racism, power, and control. You know, just to make things harder for people to vote, especially Black and other minority groups, college students who primarily vote Democrat. Mm-hmm. So it's you know all, all the above. These are all reasons why. Gina, I'm curious, we hear a lot about organizations on the national level that create model bills that then get introduced in state legislatures around the country. Is this an organized effort or is this popping up more with some guy in in a state gets an idea and it might be similar to a a legislator in a different state? So it isn't a fragmented effort, in my opinion. I think it's a national effort um, with 
a single message to keep the country from having an effective democracy that works for the people. Hmm. So many of these measures attack current democratic policies and practices and people of color. And, um, and some of them are based on lawsuits that, that were lost in the courts. So for example, let's, let's talk about Missouri for a second. Here's a bill, HB 334, that would impose a strict photo ID by eliminating other forms of ID to vote. But that is not the worst of it. It would eliminate the Secretary of State's obligation to notify voters that the law changed. So you may ask, why eliminate that part of um, the Secretary of State's obligation to notify voters? And, and it's in response or retaliation for the success of lawsuits brought on behalf of Missouri voters and those groups that fight for democracy. So like, you know, the NAACP, the League of Women Voters, the ACLU and others, you know, they've they've been successful in um, making sure that people have the right to vote. So Denise Lieberman, who leads the statewide coalition, Missouri Voter Protection Coalition, said that this attempt to um, to get strict photo ID as the only form of identica- identification to vote has been going on for 12 years. Hmm. 12 so, years. So 12 years. This has been a long effort. Why has it not been successful in the past? I understand there's probably a lot of factors involved in that, but but what's been the main thing stopping it from success up till this point? So, so success, so in 2006, the photo ID law did pass, but it was found to be unconstitutional uh, for a variety of reasons. But then more recently, um, when voter ID bill passed in 2016, it required the notification to register voters um, that, um, that the law changed and the state didn't comply. So they were, there was a lawsuit and, um, that was part of the reason why we're still able to use other forms of ID. The other thing is that the Missouri Supreme Court struck down, there's a, a piece in that bill that passed in 2016 that said that if you didn't have a voter, if you didn't have a photo ID, a photo ID that was issued by the state that was current, that you had to sign an affidavit saying, stating basically that you are who you are and that you don't have an ID. So uh, the Missouri Supreme Court found that and deemed it unconstitutional because the way that it was written, signing an affidavit, what if, for example, I just forgot my ID Mm. at home. And so, you know, I don't have time to go home and get it. But if I sign this legal affidavit, that's saying that I don't have an ID when I actually do. So issues like that is what helped the Missouri Supreme Court um, take that piece out, which gave us the gave voters the opportunity to be able to to vote using other forms of ID. So in Missouri, at least, um, the courts have blocked some of these things from becoming law in the past. Do you think legislators are getting more careful about how they're crafting them so that they could survive that kind of legal challenge? I wouldn't necessarily say that, but I think the the goal is to just put in and do and create as many policies as possible to see what happens and if they pass and and let other people like the NAACP and and others challenge it in court. And it's expensive to do those sorts of things, to challenge things in court. So So the idea of throw a lot of things at the wall and hope that one will stick or that your opponents don't have enough funding to stop it from sticking. Exactly. 
Now, you mentioned um, earlier this idea that voters of color in particular would be disenfranchised by these efforts. Give us some, um, some of your reasoning on that. So it has everything to do with, in order to get a state ID, you have to have underlying documents. So you have to have your social security card. You have to have a birth certificate. If you changed your name, let's say you got married and you changed your name, you need a copy of your marriage um, certificate. If you got a divorce, you have to have a copy of that decree. And if you don't have those documents, then you have to pay for them mm-hmm. and get them. Um, and so you, a lot of people who can't afford those types of things are, are typically low-income people um, and as well as, um, uh, as black voters. So it's disproportionately of impacts them the most because these documents cost money. And um, the, the other issue to that is, so let's say you get all of your documents and you're ready to go, but you don't work hours that allow you to go to the DMV to get your photo ID. So now you have to take off of work Mm -hmm. um, in order to get it. So, so mm-hmm. as I mentioned, we had Representative John Simmons on our show earlier this month. He is the sponsor of this photo ID bill that we've been sort of going in depth on here. That's House Bill 334. Um, I want to play here something that he said on our show. This is his response to concerns that bills like his would stop people of color and minorities from casting ballots. They've studied this, and what they've shown is actually over the last several years, while these uh, supposedly strict photo ID requirements have been implemented in other states, not just Missouri, um, that the voter turnout for minorities uh, has actually gone on the increase uh, from 2018 compared to 2014. In the off-year election, there's actually 11% rise uh, in, in, that, uh, in that minority group. In fact, 27% of more blacks turning out to vote and 50%, 5-0, of Hispanics. Uh, back in that 2018 study. And that is State Representative John Simmons defending his bill that would require a photo ID to vote. Gina, I'd love to get your response to what he's saying there, which is that uh, there's actually been an increase in minority voters, even as these rules have gone into effect. Well, an increase in minority voters does not translate into them having the appropriate documents to vote. You don't need a photo ID to register to vote. Mm-hmm. So, so making a statement like that is 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 um, a, a bit of uh, a, of an untruth. Because so, if, if you needed this to vote, why would he then need this bill saying that you need this to vote? He's he's saying basically voting is up, but it's not the conditions that he's talking about. Exactly, and there's still somewhere upwards of two hundred thousand registered voters uh, that lack a, a non-expired Missouri state issued ID. Hmm. And so these are voters who would be blocked under under these requirements. Exactly. And and as he pointed out, you know, the increase of black registered voters, I mean, there have, has been an increase in black registered voters is just one side of the, the coin. It has nothing to do with their ability to exercise their right to vote. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation with Gina. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. And now back to our conversation. We're talking today with Gina Gunn-McClendon. She's the director of the Voter Access and Engagement Initiative at the Brown School at Washington University. She's also an adjunct professor there. Um, Gina, we've been talking a lot about House Bill 334, but this is one of, I believe, five that are now pending in the Missouri legislature. Are there any other highlights or or lowlights, perhaps, from your point of view that you'd want to point to of, of what some of these new restrictions would do? Yes. So in, in addition to, um, we talked about 334, you mentioned um, in your lineup about 738. And this so is the one addition, that, that passed the House uh, just House, yesterday. Yesterday, right. It eliminates electronic voting machines and will require hand-counted paper ballots. So that creates a barrier to secret ballot uh, for some voters, and, and then especially those with disabilities. What if you're not able to um, to, to use uh, something to, to write with to do a ballot. Mm-hmm. Then there, there are other bills that um, have an impact on the petition uh, process. So that's, those are, that's an opportunity for the people to get a ballot measure um, on, on the, uh, the ballot. So for an example, it would be like clean Missouri. That was something that was people led. Mm-hmm. So there are a couple of, um, SB 149, um, HJR2, which modifies the, the initiative by things like creating, um, making it a requirement to have more signatures hmm. than normal, um, it may require uh, a higher cost to verify the signatures because those signatures have to be verified by the local election authority and so or the state secretary of state's office. And so that costs more money. So all of these things are, are punitive. Then there's a bill that would modify the procedure for the maintenance of voter registration records. So in short, what that means is that it, it would create a faster way to get people purged. Right now, it can take up to six years to get a registered voter off the voter rolls. But in, in this instance, it may be if you just miss one federal election, you can be purged. And research has found that it's very, very hard to get people to re-register once they've already registered. Gina, it's interesting when you hear it described as it modifies the procedure for the maintenance of voter registration records. It sounds so innocuous, but this sounds like if this was approved, this could have a huge impact on on how hard it would be to vote in Missouri. You'd have to continually re-register if you miss a federal election. Right. And a lot of that happens anyway. Um, regardless of of this, because um, of things like name matching and, and, you know, things like that, that some jurisdictions or the state will use um, saying that people are registered in more than one state. Mm -hmm. So it's it's very troubling. Um, 738 also makes it so that election workers are not required to reside or be voters in the election jurisdiction. Which is an interesting thing. So to me, that that's kind of code for we're going to put certain people that we want in certain poll places hmm. to make sure that um, or, you know, 
find ways in which to prevent people from voting. Because if you don't live in that jurisdiction, you know, you're you're not going to know the people. And so you could just kind of do whatever you want. So it's... Um, so it sounds like a, a lot of concerning measures um, from your point of view now pending in the Missouri House and in the Missouri Senate as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to go to the phone lines. Um, We have a couple callers who have some thoughts on this subject. Uh, Let's go to Kathy, who's calling from St. Louis County. Um, Kathy, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. What's your take on on what's going on here in the legislature? Oh, hi, Sarah. Um, I just wanted to give a little feedback. Uh, We had a meeting uh, with a rep that we had in our area, and she brought uh, Jay Ashcroft uh, down uh, to our meeting. And he talked about fraud, 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 and there were quite a few women in the audience, and all asked uh, for the cases. And when we asked for the cases, he just sat there. So he didn't have specifics. There were not. He couldn't produce any. (laughs) That is interesting. Uh, Thank Mm -hmm. you, Kathy, for for sharing that observation. Let's go to Mary, who's calling from University City. Mary, hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Hi, um, thanks for taking my call. I have two concerns. One is that it really should be easier to um, vote or to register to vote and exercise your vote than to buy a gun. And um, but but other the other thing is I really believe that the reason that Republicans are um, all over the country are trying to make it harder to vote is because they know that their policies are overwhelmingly unpopular. Hmm. They're becoming an ever-increasing minority, or I should say they're becoming less and less populous of a party. And so the only way that they're going to stay in power is to um, disenfranchise as many people as possible who tend to vote Democrat and um that's just what I wanted to say. Mary, thank, thank you, you. For, for sharing your observations. I appreciate that. Gina, I know there's a lot of people who, who share Mary's suspicion of what's going on here. Are, are you among them? I absolutely am among them. Um, you know, <laughs> Stacey Abrams uh, mentioned um, with regard to what was going on in Georgia that this is uh, these laws are sort of a, a redux of, of the Jim Crow. And the other thing that she talked about is is how an effective democracy demands active participation and that people deserve a voice in the direction of the country. So, you know, much of this is, is akin to uh, a way of bringing back or reviving those things that are reminiscent of Jim Crow laws, like legalized segregation, you know, sort of like what's next. And I also agree with the caller that just talked about you know, why not Republicans, if you're afraid of losing power um, or you're afraid of the change in demographics and, and that those that change is going to make sure that you are not in power any longer, then why not create an agenda that people want mm-hmm. as opposed to, um, you know, things that the people don't want? How about this? Get an agenda. What is your agenda for the people? So um, might be a better path to to electoral success is is your prescription right there. 
Uh, Ab- absolutely. Gina, mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure to ask you about something else, and this is something that is almost counter to what's going on. At the same time that all these states are considering bills that would put restrictions on voting, I understand there's there's a different movement going on in D.C. Congress is considering a federal bill that would do just the opposite. Can you give us the highlights of, of what's under consideration there? Yes, I would be ha- happy to do that. So there, so the House and and uh, has passed a bill. It's called HR one, the For the People Act, and what it would do is it would support and strengthen voting rights like automatic voter registration, early voting. It would create a system of uh, fairness when it comes to redistricting and and representation. It would change um, campaign financing, so hmm. it would force a disclosure of where contributions are from. Essentially, it would help identify persons making contributions over a certain amount. So there, there, there are tons of things that would be in this bill that would um, allow people to vote. Um, early voting, automatic voter registration, those sorts of things are, are things that... Um, American citizens should have. We shouldn't have to fight about voting. And so these laws would um, supersede a lot of the things that the that states are trying to do. In addition to that, that this particular HR1 was introduced in Senate in the Senate uh, last week and hearings were heard this week on the bill. So um, So this is, is moving forward. Of, it is moving forward. There are going to be, you're going to see a lot of things that are happening. The Declaration for American uh, Democracy, DFAB, is having their um, week of action starting next, um, starting April, the, starting April 5th through 5th through the 9th. So it's going to be a National Day of Action for HR1. And then there are other um, things happening like the on May 8th, the John Lewis Good Trouble Day of Action, which is supporting both HR1 and HR4. Hmm. Yeah, so... So it sounds like a lot yeah. of energy around this issue right now. And as you say, if, if this is passed on the federal level, um, this could really change the playing field for all these states that are, are attempting to go in a different direction. Right, and, and make it fair and equitable for people to vote. You know, it's... It's it's our voice. It's our voice. And, and we should have a right on what happens and the things that go on in this country. And it shouldn't be decided among a handful of uh, people. Well, Gina, That's not democracy. Gina Gunn-McClendon, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and, and sharing this perspective. Okay. Um, one last, can I just say quickly, don't sure. forget to vote April the 6th. <laughs> that is always a welcome plug. April 6th in the city. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> right. In April, you know, the primary St. Louis City saw a low voter turnout of 22 percent. Mm. You know what? We can do better than that. So everybody, please don't forget to go vote on April the 6th. There are issues in, um, you know, in the county as well where there are um, people are expected to vote. Okay. So come out. Come out so, yeah, vote. that is a that is a perfect note to end on, Gina. Thank you so much for that. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gina, again, is the director of Voter Access and Engagement Initiative that's within the Brown School at Washington University. 
More reporting from the St. Louis on the Air team is available at stlpublicradio.org. And be sure never to miss a conversation by subscribing to our podcast. You can find St. Louis on the Air on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts on the App Store. St. Louis on the Air is produced by Evie Hempel, Lara Hamden, Emily Woodbury, and Alex Hoyer. The audio engineer is Aaron Dorr. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Sarah Fenske. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at choosewood.com.